Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our worship at Hillhead. Um, our worship this morning, as you can probably already tell, is led by Neil Kennedy. Um, first off, a thank you to all who donated to our harvest campaign for Operation Agri. In total, we raised the slightly frustrating figure of £795. <laughs> Um, I tried to work out what I would need to do to top it up to 800, including gift aid, and the maths confused me, so I just decided to leave it as is. Um, a reminder that next Sunday on the 22nd, we will be welcoming our outgoing BMS mission partner, Joy Ransom, who is retiring. We look forward to meeting Joy, and we hope that as many folks as possible can be at that service. Um, there will be a meeting of West End Acts on Tuesday the 24th of October at 7.30. So that's a, 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 the West End Churches acting together and having a bit of a think about what we might uh, do together over the next year. If anyone will be interested in representing Hillhead on that group, um, I would be really interested in hearing from them. Um, They'll be meeting on the 24th um, at Wellington Church at 7.30pm. Even if you can't make that meeting, um, it would be good to hear from anyone who would be interested in uh, working together with our, our local churches. Our midweek conversations group will meet as usual on Tuesday at 7 on Zoom. And the coffee club meets at 10.30 till 12 on Wednesdays at Esquire House in Annie's Land. Um, next week we meet as usual here in the hotel and I'm going to say it again where we welcome Joy Ransom, our outgoing BMS missions partner and uh, look forward to seeing as many of you as possible there. These are all our notices. God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us stand as we are able to sing our first hymn.
of a busy world, we come before you in the peace of this place. We reflect that you know us completely and are aware of all our thoughts because you are truth and light. We confess and bring before you the times when we have got things wrong and made mistakes. We pray that we might see ourselves as we really are. Give us the patience and wisdom to know how to handle difficult situations. We pray that we might listen to what you are saying to us here today through your word, through the words of praise and through random thoughts. Give us listening ears to hear what you might be saying directly to us, possibly through the voices of others in what appear to be everyday conversations, and that we would not be deafened by our own prejudices and well-worn routines. Help us to remember what you will have us remember and to forget what you will have us forget. Lord, in a world focused on pleasure but impoverished of joy, lead us to discover, experience, and model your deep gladness in our lives. And we join together in the Lord's Prayer in whatever language comes naturally. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever. Amen. Let us remain seated as we sing our next hymn, O God of Bethlehem.
here is something that most of you have actually, some of you have never seen before. I wonder what it is. Now, when I switch it on, it is quite old, so it... Ah. And uh, does anyone under the age of 70 have a clue what this is? It is about 70, by the way. I'm too old, but I remember it. Good. Well, I think Barbara and I learned to drive cars with these direction indicators. It had one on the driver's side and one on the passenger side. And um, when you were about to turn, instead of having an orange flashing light, you had one on each side of the car. And as you can see, not only because this is in its 70s and beginning to fall apart, um, but it was so hopeless, even when it was brand new, <laughs> that in the driving test that I did, and that Barbara did, um, in the driving test, you had to use no electric signals when you were doing your driving test. You were allowed to start with the signals, but then they would tell you, pull over. Now, for the next few minutes, I want you to use hand signals. Well, you had to steer the thing, you had to change gear, you had to do this, that, and the next thing, and you had to have, of course, you had to have your window down. And uh, there were, as I remember it, three hand signals. There was, I'm turning right, which, of course, motorcyclists still use. Uh, now, um, there was, I'm turning left. Now, on a motorbike, that's all very well, but it was exactly, John, it was this one. I think it was that, something like it? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. That's, I'm turning left, although you used your right hand. And then there was a slowing down, which I think was a bit like a bird wing. Something like that. And it means I'm slowing down. Uh, so uh, the younger generation don't understand how difficult it was when you're 17 and you're trying to do this stuff. And then you, you want to change gear. And it was so impossible. Uh, so these are direction indicators. Now, uh, it is a light, it is an orange light, and it points the way that you want to go. Jesus is the light of the world, and he points the way that we should go. And he wants us to follow his example by showing our lives as a light that will be the right way to go. Because quite often we come to a junction and we can go this way, and we can go that way, and we have to decide what way should we go. Now, uh, we will sing our next hymn, uh, we will stand as we are able, which is all about light.
Bible reading is in book of Exodus chapter 2, 1 to 10. I will be reading in Yoruba Bible. So, Exodus, Orikeji, Esekinide, Esekewa. Okonen kon aray ile, lefi si lò si fè omon berin lefi kon. Obrin nan si nyon, o si bi omon konen kon. Nikbati o si ripe, o xè omon di dara, o pa mon li o shumeta. Nikbati ko si le pa mon mon, o xè apoti e soufon. O si fi o da ilè ati o jè e gè son. O si te omon nan si nou rè. O si gbe si nou koriko odo, li e eba odo nan. Arabe rin re si duro li okere, la ti mon on ti yo she omon nan. Omon berin farao si sokale wa, la ti wè li odo. Awon mon berin odore si re re, lò si eba odo nan. Nibè ti yo si riyak boti nan la ni kori kodo. Oran oman berin odore kon la ti lò bewa. Nibè ti yo si ri ori oman nan si kiye si oman de nan nsokun. Inu re si yo si o si wipe okan ninu awan oman eberu li eyi. Nikba nan li araberin re wifun oman berin fara wopi emi kalo ipi ala bato kan fun owa ninu awan oman berin eberu ki yoto oman nan fun o oman berin fara wosi wifun pe lo oman berin nan si lo osi pe iya oman nan wa Oman berin fara ou si we foun pe, bi oman yi lò ki o si tò foumi, e bi o si san owo ishè re foun o. Oman berin nan si gbe oman nan lò, o si tò. Oman nan si dagba, o si moun tò oman berin fara ou wà, on si di oman re, o si sò rukò re ni mò se, O si wipe ni tori ti mo fa jade ni nou omi. A man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw there was something special about him and hid him. She hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer... She got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it. Then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. The baby's older sister found herself a vantage point a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maidens strolled on the bank, she saw the basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her maid to get it. She opened it and saw the child. 
a baby crying. Her heart went out to him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister was before her. Do you want me to go and get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. The girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you. The woman took the child and nursed him. After the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, which means pulled out, saying, I pulled him out of the water. Well, I wonder how many of you watch uh, soap operas. I personally don't. The reason is that on the occasions I have seen a couple of minutes of it, I haven't a clue what it's going about. You try to understand the thing, and suddenly the scene changes completely to different people, and they seem to know what they're talking about, and I haven't a clue. But the appeal may be that if you took the patience to get into the soap opera, that possibly you would begin to understand the characters. And although it's kind of actors, nonetheless, it's very similar to perhaps that annoying aunt or that nosy neighbor or someone at work that does no work and always pretends they're so busy. So maybe they are true life characters. So the way that the soap opera works is you have to get to know the characters and then you find that the various stories from the different families or whoever they are begin to fit together and somehow something that happens later on is affected by something earlier on. However, the greatest soap opera of all time is the Bible and in particular the Old Testament. It's astonishing that 70% of the Bible is in the form of stories. It's written in the narrative. It's about stories. That is uh, quite an astonishing figure. Uh, I would never have imagined that until I, I uh, came across that quote. 70% of the Bible is in the form of stories. So God must try to communicate to us through stories rather than through some logical mathematical language. Some of these stories are historical, some are in the form of parable, and it's through these stories that we find truth. Quite often jumping from scene to scene and referring to a story of long ago, and even getting the time mixed up so a story can change from 
ancient times to much more modern. And maybe the stories are not so isolated. So let's start with an episode, that of the well-known story of baby Moses in the woven basket among the bulrushes. Uh, Such a lovely image that, that uh, many a child in Sunday school has drawn it, and many people instantly know what that is. In a very secular age, I find it remarkable that people know what a Moses basket is. So they must know the name Moses and possibly know something about Moses and the River Nile. That's in an age when people don't seem to know very much about the Bible. Uh, Quite strange. However, in a way, that basket is quite a message in itself. Now, in weaving, be it tapestry or basket making, there's the up and down cords or uh, bulrush stems, which are known as the warp. They're very strong. Not much pattern to them, more functional. You can get that in carpets as well. There's the warp that is very strong. And then there is the sideways one, which is the weft that goes from right to left. In life, we have very little control over the warp. We are born into a certain time in history. We have got strong genetic influences and childhood environmental influences. And together, we don't agree on how much is environmental uh, and how much is genetic. But nonetheless, there are strong influences over which we have very little control. But we do have some control in the way that we weave our lives in the form of the weft. So that itself is a bit of a message. Back to the well-known episode of Moses. Uh, He had no choice in living uh, as a family of slaves in Egypt. The numbers of the Hebrews had grown so great that Pharaoh had decreed a cull of male babies, effectively a type of ethnic cleansing, as we would say nowadays. And this Hebrew mother has hidden her boy child in a basket, waterproofed with tar and bobbing around the reeds of the Nile at the very spot where the princess, as we heard, uh, was coming to bathe. And then, of course, Moses' sister, takes control of the situation, and fortunately things go well. The princess likes the baby and wants to keep him and knows that she will need a wet nurse, and the sister in disguise offers to find the wet nurse for the baby. There was no guarantee of success in any of this. You see, we know that the story came to a reasonably happy ending, but at the time in life, we have no guarantee of success. It would be a terrifying experience for the mother of Moses. And although I don't want to dwell on it, that is the very part of the world where we've been thinking a lot in this past few weeks. In life, we very often don't know what way things will go. And it's all very well to say, well, you will get over it. And looking back, you did get over difficult things. But when you stop to think about it, there is no guarantee that the Moses basket would succeed in saving the child's life. However, sometimes there can be a plan, I don't know. Uh, William Cowper, the hymn writer, put this so well. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And so Moses grows up, the soap opera continues, and from a point of vulnerability, Moses rises up to be the one who starts the journey to lead the people out of Egypt. 
It's a story that has echoes of other series of the great soap opera, that of Joseph of legendary multicolored coat fame, taken from the pit where his brothers abandon him, sold as a slave and taken into Egypt, where he becomes a powerful official in the land. And the bumper harvest of Egypt, carefully stored away, saves the lives of the Hebrews from starvation. And then fast forward lots of episodes later, Egypt welcomed refugees in the form of Mary, Jesus and Joseph escaping from the evil King Herod. So in these two episodes, the second two episodes, it is the case that Egypt is the good country that is helping. Why or why do we insist on labeling it a complete country as being entirely good or entirely bad? There are so many episodes in the life of Moses, a man with extreme sense of right and wrong, who saw an Egyptian slave driver kill one of the Hebrew slaves. Moses was so angered that he killed the Egyptian man. And then in the next episode, tells of Moses running away beyond the borders of Egypt, where he made his home among shepherd people. With Moses on the run, he notices a bush on fire. Again, a very pictorial graphic part of the story. With God speaking directly to Moses from the burning bush, ordering him to return to Egypt, the very last place that Moses wanted to go. It would have been easy for Moses to dwell in his own unworthiness, but that would have been a waste of energy. One of the strong messages of the burning bush is about the holiness of God and obedience to him. True wisdom comes through having a right perspective of who God is. When God spoke from the burning bush, Moses listened. Prayer must involve listening. So when Moses was listening to God, Moses was praying. Not speaking, but listening. That is an important component in prayer, which in the Reformed tradition has very largely been lost. The Catholic Church tends to have more space for listening. So Moses was praying when he listened. Sometimes our words might get in the way of real communication with God. The mind chatters unceasingly, intruding and distracting us. Is God our almighty God or our almighty God? Overfamiliarity with God as our Father can bring a slapdash approach to our relationship with him. One where we demand and order him to do things for us. He calls us to seek him and to seek his wisdom. And it's all very well for Moses to see something as dramatic as the burning bush. But most of us have never seen God in that way. Or have we? The Victorian poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote these words. Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Beautiful poem. Now that illustrates just how much spirituality exists in symbolism and in storytelling and in the great soap opera. Direct, logical, legal, almost mathematical language is a different dimension of truth. One thing I did not mention this morning with the old indicator was how it works. Now I am a scientist and I've spoken to many children in a science class about how that works, but I'm deliberately not talking about that this morning. Mm -hmm. 
because there are different dimensions. Yes, there is the scientific electrical approach, which is fascinating, which I've not spoken about, and I'm not going to. But the meaning is the important thing. Not so much how it works, but trying to see something in it. Much later on, Moses went up Mount Sinai. A cloud sometimes described as a thick darkness covered the top of the mountain. But for Moses, there was a seeing that consisted of not seeing because he saw very little in that thick, dark cloud. The closer we get to God, the less we understand. The closer we get to God, the less we understand. And we need to get rid of any hope of grasping God only with the mind. We are limited by our understanding, but through these Bible stories, we can try to glimpse a vision of the reality of God. This does not mean that we necessarily need more pomp and ceremony in worship. It may well be the opposite of trying to be more expressive, perhaps even expressive dance during worship. As long as we do not become trivial, which can destroy the atmosphere of worship, worship must be authentic. The heart of worship is the soul's response to the love that has been shown to us, wherever we happen to be on our spiritual journeys. However, Moses still had problems as an older man. Another episode shows Moses had a temper and a short fuse. When the Hebrew people kept whinging and complaining that they would never, should never have left Egypt, he lost his temper. So God decided not to allow Moses to lead the Hebrew people to the final stage of the journey to the promised land. Moses found speaking in public very difficult and called on his brother Aaron to help him with this. But that same brother let him down badly. Moses left Aaron in charge of his people as Moses went up Mount Sinai. Meanwhile, the people had melted down their golden earrings and made a golden calf. Just as things were beginning to go well, to fill the spiritual vacuum, they create an imaginary God. And that is so true to life. An idea spreads rapidly. People out of cowardly conformity follow that idea. So where do we fit in to the great soap opera, I wonder? Well, shortly after retiral, I can't remember why I did this, but I was talked into becoming an extra on television. And uh, the, it's not quite acting. You don't actually speak. You're just part of the crowd. So I was an extra in River City, in the studios down in Dumbarton, at a very posh party, wearing a moustache and sipping this cocktail and silent conversation with other people. It took two very full days to produce less than 10 seconds of party. It's remarkably time-consuming. My next soap opera was filmed in the nursing department of the Caledonian University. The scene was a ward for elderly patients who were a bit confused, and they had recruited a busload of uh, elderly people uh, who were a bit deaf and a bit confused. So, in fact, we got through the filming very quickly. <laughs> it was a, about an evacuation caused by a fire alarm going off, and we really couldn't remember what we were told two minutes ago, and we hadn't been listening, and anyway, we were deaf. So, really, this was brilliant, and we were really feeling like apologizing, but no, that was, that was fine, uh, and that, that episode went okay. Another episode was in a thing I'd never heard of called Waterloo Road, filmed down in Greenock, 
Well, it was something to do with two teachers who were about to get married. For some unknown reason, uh, I was cast as the minister. I think I was the only one that was tall enough to fit. Um, it happened to be Alan Sorensen's gown. Uh, some of you may know him. Uh, and I was cast as the minister. So there I was uh, in the church in the Guruk Esplanade. I had the groom and the best man in front of me. And, of course, the bride was coming down the aisle when two other teachers said, don't do it, don't do it. He's having an affair in the staff room with blah, blah. <laughs> well, I don't know what that was about. I never found out, nor do I care. Um, I don't watch soap operas, even if I do appear in them. Um, but I'm sure of one thing. I'm quite sure that the people that did watch Waterloo Road do know what that was all about. Strange thing about a soap opera is just what I've said, the audience know far more about what is going on than the actors. You see, the audience are the only people that see everyone else's house and everyone else's private conversation. And it's a bit like the child's pantomime. Um, he's behind you. No, the other way, this stuff, you know. Uh, but the audience, the children in that case, know what's going on. Those of us alive today, while we may have seen or read the previous episodes of things long ago, we are now the latest episode. We're no longer the audience. Therefore, now that we are the actors, acting reality, we don't know exactly what's going on. We do not know how things will work out. The act in this case is real life, so it's no longer the act. We have to decide what pattern to weave onto the warp, usually not knowing what the final tapestry will look like. It's easy to get settled into a comfortable rut with an emphasis on not taking any risk. A ship is safe in a harbour, but that is not what ships are for. Moses, even when old, tried out new ideas as circumstances kept changing. Where do we go from here? Living in a very materialistic and secular world with too much emphasis on personal freedom at the expense of community responsibility, hopefully keeping our own soap opera alive by recalling far gone episodes that brought us together and remembering when we as individuals and as a people were delivered from difficult times. The strength of a community is rooted in the memories and experiences of good living. Our faith is not something static. It's more like a journey of discovery, exploration, as one delves deeper and deeper into all of life's mysteries, implications, and encountering the living God in every aspect of our lives. We do not know what lies ahead in our own lives or in the world, especially this week. But we have to be willing to consider different directions, even if that means experimenting and doing things very differently and maybe even with groups that we previously thought of as not actually being our friends. Maybe one day we will look back on our journey and remember strange episodes that led to great things. Amen. Now, we will continue to worship in...
our next hymn, and we will stand as we are able. God has given us a book full of stories. to know what to pray in a week like this. Um, I was speaking to a friend this week and she was telling me that her daughter, who's 11, came in while she and her husband were watching the news. Um, When their daughter saw the images on the screen from Israel and Gaza, she was horrified that there was another war. My friend explained that her daughter had somehow come to the understanding that wars happened one at a time and that the war in Ukraine meant that there could not be another war. My friend went on to reflect on how difficult it was to explain to her daughter that there are in fact many conflicts happening in the world, but sometimes after a while, the international community simply stopped paying attention. So after some brief prayers for ourselves and our wider Baptist family, I will share a meditation on the verse Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Um, Some of you will know that I collect prayers. Um, I can't find the source for this one. It came to me in about 2007 via my wife, and I have absolutely no idea who wrote it, but I am glad that I was able to find it this week. I encourage you to allow yourself some space and some silence as we reflect on the events of this very difficult week as well as on all ongoing conflicts around the world and bring them to our God who loves and cares deeply about each and every person. Let us pray. We start close to home. 
As church, we come together to share our lives with each other, our sorrow and our joy, our mourning and our celebration. We pray together for all who struggle, that they would experience peace and be comforted in your unending embrace. For those who celebrate, that they would know your presence with them in their joy. For those, perhaps most of us, who are neither struggling nor celebrating, but rather plodding along with the mundanities of daily life. Help us to lift up our eyes and to see the beauty and the pain in your world and to respond to it with your love. In the Baptist Union of Scotland, we pray for Portobello Baptist Church in Edinburgh, for Port Lethen Christian Fellowship, and for Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. BMS this week, ask for our prayers for emerging leaders recognising that the future of mission lies in equipping, training and working with partners across the world to help develop and encourage emerging leaders. We pray for the leaders of the Baptist World Alliance Horizons Training Programme for Young People, for new programmes for emerging leaders with a focus on gender and women in leadership, and that they will support women in leadership at all levels across various roles and for all who provide guidance for the development of emerging leaders within BMS. We turn our thoughts to the events of these last couple of weeks, and in particular, the people of Israel and Palestine, and all other areas of war and conflict in our world. Lord Jesus Christ, today we share your tears for the cities of the world. Still, we have not loved the things that make for peace. We weep for the divided cities, where brother fights with brother, where anger feeds on hatred, where prejudice blinds the eyes of compassion and even religion divides, where children are taught to hate, and old men relish ancient wrongs. We weep for the cities of oppression, where iron law imprisons freedom, where thought is curbed and conscience stifled, where the questioning spirit is called a traitor, where art and civilizing truth grow barren, and each must think in the manner of his neighbor. We weep for the cities of poverty, where children live but die too soon, where eager hands can find no work, where hunger rules and aid is short, where mothers clutch their uncomprehending children and where the little we could do, we fail to do. We weep for our cities and for ourselves, 
we have not learned the things that make for peace. We weep for our cities and for ourselves. We have not learned the things that make for peace. Lord, turn our tears to love and love to work and work to justice and all that makes for peace. Amen. And let us stand to, as we are able to sing the remaining part of our blessing after this, but let us stand to sing our final hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.